about it. It's all about the music. I am all about the music. Any music fans out there? Any like people that just love, like love music? I, I'm the guy that like I could stand up here and just talk for days about how much I love music. That no matter like how I can get it, no matter how I can listen to it, no matter where it is, I want to like have music in my life. And, and like even tonight, uh, the live performance of Grease is on Fox and I can't wait for that. Um, Go grease lightning, you're burning up the quarter mile. I said, and go grease lightning, you're coasting through the heat lab trials. All right, now after that, you have to stop because it gets inappropriate. Which I didn't know until about like four years ago. But like I listen to that and watch that and just love that all the time. Like I love the part when he's like, oh, Sandy. But like it's all about... It's all about the music and like there were so many great movies like that and, and, and obviously Disney movies and just music and, and Paul Simon. I remember we used to travel across the country going to Colorado. Me and my, my family would listen to Paul Simon and I have this weird like love for his music. It was all about like creating that experience. And music has been something that people love and people chase throughout all of life. And over the past uh, hundred years, the, the mechanism for, with, uh, for which music was delivered changed, but really it's all about the music. People want that. People uh, uh, use that. People live on music. People uh, need music to help express and experience, and music is a big, big piece of all of our lives. From the very um, uh, couple hundred years ago, there was a guy named Beethoven, and people used to just do anything they could to get around his music. He is like the most, one of the, the most talented composers of all time. And people would go to like, uh, to, to concert halls and just pack the place out so they could just hear that music, just hear Beethoven play. There's a story about Beethoven where one time he was uh, performing and he was in a competition with another famous composer and he went first. And what he did is he walked up and he had never seen the music before in his life. And he walked up to the piano and he took the music and he flipped it over and he played for two hours and the other guy actually just never played because it was like, you win, you're the best, nobody can compete. This is a guy who like made music such an amazing thing and people would flock to that. And people fell in love with Beethoven and people fell in love with his music. But after he died, music still went on. And people didn't cram into concert halls anymore. In fact, a guy named Thomas Edison made something that, that made music accessible that you could actually bring into your home called a record player. And uh, he did that, he created this thing, and for like over the past hundred and some years, this has been the main format, a record, for which like music uh, would enter into our homes. So it was a new mechanism, but it was still music all the same. And uh, there's a famous record, one of the most popular records of all time, by a guy named George Gershwin, back in the 1920s, who wrote this song that maybe you've heard of called Rhapsody in Blues. And this is one of the most popular songs of all time, and it was made on this vinyl, and people would be able to now not have to go to a concert hall, which is still incredible, but now they could go and buy this vinyl, this record, and bring it into their house, and music could be in the kitchen. Music could be in the family room. And even though you didn't have to go to the concert hall anymore, people were still all about the music. 
We gotta hear music. We want it. We need it. We love it. We're all about the music. And there are some people that, of course, throughout the, the years, they say, you know, that's not real music unless it's in a concert hall. That's not real music. And people, they fall in love with the mechanism. They fall in love with Beethoven. They fall in love with how it was done. But people who love music, they don't care if they have to go to a concert hall because now they can just spin it and they can just have it in their home. Well, I was born in 1980, and as the mechanisms for delivering music changed, it got different and it actually became mobile. Born in 1980, but as I grew up, I remember going into my basement and seeing like all these like cartridges of these big fat things called eight tracks. And, it, and how many people had an eight track tape? Come on, the eight track tape. And what happened is, is that eight track, it actually made music mobile because people would put these, these things into their car. And there were, it was just funny because you actually, when you put an eight track in, it, you have to like listen to the whole thing. So what people would do is like they would put it in and there was like one song on the record that they loved. And then once they heard it, they're like, man, we just gotta keep driving. We just gotta keep driving until we hear that song again because nothing makes me feel like this. Just a song that like represents the time, right? But it was beautiful that the mechanism, oh, there we go, someone's a little more. I mean, this is like, a, like an amazing song and people would chase the music. And now they would like put the music in the car with them and they would drive around because it didn't matter. You didn't have to go to a concert hall and now you didn't have to stay at home with the record. You could actually have music in your car. It was so cool. It was like the coolest thing. And I, I never really like had like a bunch of uh, eight tracks, but I did have something else. And this is where music really entered my world. And that's the cassette tape. I mean, is there anything more beautiful than the cassette tape? It's got an A side, it's got a B side. And you can rewind it, and you can fast forward it. And for me, there was MC Hammer, but there was also my boy. That's right. And in the early 1990s, what personified music for me on the cassette tape was a guy named Vanilla Ice. And I am sad. But it's true, when I was in high school, me and my friends for the senior year talent show lip, lip sunk this song and we thought that was cool. And man, it wasn't. Like it was not cool. Like we did not know what we were doing, but I mean, how many people can rap like this entire song? When I play it, no melody, anything less than the best is a felony. Love it or leave it, you better gain weight. You better hit bulls how the kids don't play. If there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Check out the hook while my DJ revolves it. The cassette. Because it's all about the music. Like, I don't care. I don't care if Vanilla Ice is on an 8-track, if I can get it on a cassette. And now I can rewind it and go back and just listen to the song over and over again. Because the record was okay, but this song changed my life forever. And then, of course, one of the funniest things that ever happened, also one of the most brilliant things that ever happened, was the, uh, the CD. There it is, the CD, right? I mean, the CD was just one of the most beautiful things. I remember when somebody first heard about CDs, they were like, it's, it's a laser. It's a laser. It's like a, it's like a record that has a laser on it. And then like, I remember when someone put it on and they like started playing it in the house and they were like, listen to how clear that is. 
ooh, it's so clear. I mean, when CDs came out, the sell of them was, isn't that clear? It was like, it sounds like music. But the beauty of the CD player, and for me, CDs, like in high school, I had this crazy, intense, over-the-top love for Dave Matthews, and I have a, had about a bajillion records live at Red Rocks, and I listened to those a million times, and this song right here made me do weird stuff in my room. Here, turn it, turn it up a little bit. I mean, I am not kidding you. Like I just... But like, CDs were so cool, right? Like, how many people remember having like your CD book? Remember like you had a, like I know you kids are like, what? All your, all your music is like in one little spot. We used to have to have leather bound books of CDs. I had like four leather bound books, like bigger than children's books, man. And you would flip through these things and I had all my CDs in there. And I remember too, what came with CDs was the ability to like put these CDs in your car. And one of the things I had was I had the faceplate that removed from my car radio. Like you would like put the faceplate in and then it would like work. And then when you were parking, so no one would steal your CDs and your CD player, you would take the faceplate off. Like there was a button and you would push it and it would come off and there was a little case. And I would like walk into places and they'd be like, what is that? Like that's my CD face player. It was the weirdest thing in the world. And then the Discman, like, you know what this was for? Running. Like, like if you, like if you, honestly, like if, if you would like, if, if you, you had to like go with it, like you had to like, it was like not spilling coffee because the things would skip. So like, but do you remember seeing people, even with their Walkmans, the big yellow Walkman or the yellow Discman, they would strap this thing to their back. I mean, just like running with this CD player, but it was a beautiful thing. And if you love music, it didn't matter because you weren't married to the mechanism, you were married to the music. And for me now, music has this, this very like easy, accessible thing called Bluetooth and MP3s. And I got this thing for Christmas and it's the greatest thing in the world because I can bring music with me anywhere. Like you don't have to have like a stereo, you don't have to, and, and my Bluetooth like for my phone goes into my car. So basically wherever my phone is, music is. And you know what, whatever makes music more accessible is what I'm about because I'm all about the music. And for me, like I was like, well, what's gonna represent you know, music from your phone and music on Bluetooth. I, I thought I'd go into iTunes and look up one of the top 10 songs on iTunes, right? So I was like, you know, I just took, like, cause that's kind of what people are listening to on Bluetooth. And actually number three on iTunes is, is the one and only. I mean, like, like the 21 Pilots. Like, can you believe they're the like number three song on iTunes? And so like in my house, like when we're like, when we're in the bedroom, like we just bring this and play it from our phones. And then we just like take it downstairs and, and we just, we have music with us wherever we go. Cause it's all about the music. We play musical chairs with this thing. We turn music on. And even like, even if we're not playing musical chairs, our, our, our one year old just starts running around the table. She just starts running around the table. And like, even when babysitters come over, I'm like, Hey, you can connect to this and just play music. And one time I came in and one of the babysitters had her music, her phone connected to this Bluetooth speaker. And the thing about music is that no matter what format, no matter what method it's been delivered, we've adapted over the years because whatever mechanism delivers music, we will adapt to that. 
because we're like, whatever makes it easiest, whatever makes it best, and you find people from time to time who like are like, oh, I will never listen to another song again unless it's on vinyl. It's like, well, what's wrong with you? Like, you're going to miss out. Like, you're going to sit there and carry around a bunch of vinyls? Like, you can't listen to music in your car if all you listen to is music on vinyl. That means you're more excited about the mechanism than the experience of music. And here's the thing. The mechanism is supposed to serve the music. And no matter what the mechanism is, it's all about the music. And the same should be in our lives, in our relationship with God, and as we point people to Christ. We are the mechanism. We are the mechanism. Whether we come or go, all of us are called to point people to Christ. And as we're talking about chasing the light, it's our job, if we're chasing the light, to have other people chase the light. To not have them follow us, to not get to have them excited just about the mechanism, even about a specific church, but to get every person focused on the music, who is Jesus. You see, there's a story in the New Testament of a man named John who was John the Baptist, and maybe you've heard of him. And he was one of the most popular followers of Jesus. But what a lot of people don't understand about him is he was Jesus' cousin, and he had a very interesting, miraculous birth where God put this special plan in his life to make him the forerunner for Jesus, So basically, his job was to make sure that everybody else followed Jesus. And in the process of getting everyone else to follow Jesus, the Messiah, a bunch of people followed him. And a bunch of people fell in love with him. And a bunch of people fell in love with the way he did ministry and the things that he said. And he had tons of followers, and people loved him and believed in him and would leave their homes to follow him. But he had one job. His job was to get people to chase after Jesus, the Messiah. And so one time, John is is with his disciples, and something amazing happens. He has all these followers. He has all these disciples. He has all this influence. He has all this leadership. And he views all of that as his opportunity to get people to follow Jesus The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by. He's there with his disciples. He's there with his followers. These are people that would say, I'm a follower. I'm a disciple of John. And just put yourself in John's shoes. Just the influence, just just the the kind of the, the, the ability to affect people and change their direction and to have that and maybe the ego that might come with that. Everyone is following John and he has disciples and they believe in him. They're saying things that he says. He's there with two of his disciples, two guys that have sold out to follow him. And when Jesus walks by, John the Baptist does what every one of us are supposed to do. He says, look, the Lamb of God. There's the Lamb of God. I know you guys are following me. I know you guys believe in me. You like what I say, and it is fun. I love having all this influence. This is great. But listen, that's who you're supposed to chase. Jesus, you're supposed to be about him. If you follow me just to the point where you can follow Jesus, that's the point. Look, the Lamb of God. And John at that moment is willing to 
get rid of his influence, is willing to get rid of his followers, is willing to, to get rid of any kind of like name or prestige or, or presence in the region just so that two of his disciples who have pledged allegiance to him will now pledge their allegiance to Jesus Christ. Just like we all saw, and if you're watching online, we baptized two high school students today. And we're so excited about that. And we have leaders around them. And what happens is a lot of those students, they come in and they just fall in love with Bryce. They fall in love with Maddie. But then what happens is, is their existence is to get those students to say what they said on the video earlier. I want everyone to know how Jesus has impacted my life. All that is because our leaders have been taught, point people to Jesus. Take people to Jesus. Let them follow you into the point where you can hand them off to Jesus. Look what happens when the two disciples heard him say this. They followed Jesus. They started to chase the light. You see, our chase should lead to others chasing. One of the ways that you know that you are in a healthy relationship with Jesus is that your relationship is moving people towards God. We're not designed to just accept Jesus and, and have a great life and just kind of walk through it in a vacuum. We're designed to be reflectors. 514 Church is called 514 Church because we believe we are the light of the world, that God has made the church this beautiful beacon of hope that is designed to help all people. And it's not a building, it's not an experience, it's all of us in the room. It's one thing to say that, man, look at the lights, the production, that, that draws people in. Man, look at the stories, look at, the, look at the, the music, look at all this stuff. No, 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 It's you and me, it's the people that are designed by God in the church to point people to him. In the analogy here, there's different mechanisms, there's different people, there's different delivery systems and, and strategies but what transcends all the mechanisms is the music. In the analogy, Jesus is the music. He's the one that we gotta get people to chase. You gotta be able to let go of the mechanism. You gotta be able to let go of certain men and women and leaders and say, no, 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 it's all about Jesus. This, this dialogue goes on. John has this opportunity to explain how important it is that everything he is doing is to get people to follow Jesus Christ. In John 3, towards the end, John 3, 25 through 30, there's an amazing interaction that happens while John the Baptist is baptizing and an argument comes up. And I could just go on and on and on about this passage. It says this, it says, an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. So what happens in this passage is these disciples, they would pledge allegiance, allegiance to their rabbi, in this case, John the Baptist. And when they would pledge allegiance, it was like they were in, in, insane about that, that rabbi. And they would become the followers of John, the disciples of John. And it was their like duty and goal and burden to make like, people understand that their rabbi was the best. And so John understood that. And he understood that these people were like sold out to him regardless of who he was really, kind of like a Cleveland Browns fan. Like just people that just are sold out regardless. Like just all in, like show up at the game, sell out, and they lose. Like these people were fanatical about John. That's what it's like. 
And this argument breaks out. And they come to John and they're talking about who should be the, the, the rabbi that people follow. We're, we're all about you, John. Why in the world are people following you? And then there's this Jesus on the other side and they have this conversation. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, teacher, you're our teacher, you're our rabbi, you're the spiritual influence in our life. We've pledged allegiance to you. Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, Jesus, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. One of the disciples is like, we're losing our, our followers. John, aren't you concerned about this? Like you have all these followers, they're following you. Aren't you concerned that like they're moving over here? In, in, in the same sense how they go, hey, they're leaving records and going to eight tracks. They're leaving, they're leaving CDs and going to Bluetooth. What, we can't do this, I'm sold out to the mechanism. You're the man, you are the guy. And John's like, you missed it. It's not about that, it's not about the mechanism, it's not about me. My job, my existence, our job, our existence, no matter how much influence we gain, is to turn that influence and spin that into influence into someone's ultimate following of God. To this, John replied. He says, a person can only, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. He says, guys, I have a role to play. God gave me this role. I've accepted it. I've accepted what God has called me to do and how he's called me to do it. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah. You see, these, these people in this time, in this region, they were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for the king of the Jews, the one who would save them from Roman oppression. And so every time a strong leader would spring up, a rabbi, one like John the Baptist, who had lots of followers, who had a kind of a mysterious and magical mystery uh, birth, they're all going, maybe he's the Messiah. Hey, if you're the Messiah, why are people going over there with this guy? John the Baptist takes the opportunity to do what every single one of us are called to do, and that is to be very clear that it's not about them, it's all about Jesus. He says, you yourselves can testify that I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. All I'm here for, God gave me a job to pave a way to bring people into a relationship with God. This is so critical. It's so important that you understand that when you are not a follower of Christ, that everything that God is doing is to try to get you to understand how much he loves you and bring you in that relationship with him. And then from that point on, God has a plan for you to be a leader for other people to follow him too. It's, it's, it's a responsibility. I can only accept what God has given me. I can only accept my role. I'm here to tell you today that if you are a follower of Christ, one of the responsibilities that comes with that is to lead people into a relationship with Christ. When we say at 514 Church, the mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, that's not like what we're doing up here is where that starts and stops. That's if you call yourself 514 Church, you're called. You're called to have the same responsibility, to lead people to chase 
the light. And then what John does is he makes an analogy. I just you see he's baptizing people. And like some dude comes up. And he's like, dude, you left me under too long. I'm telling a story. Like, and he tells a story. He says this. He says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. You know what that means? It means that the bride is after the wedding happens, is going to go with the groom, and they're going to go to the honeymoon, and they're going to make it happen. So that means. See, you guys thought the, the Bible was boring or like, like it's not boring. This, this, is, this is the fantasy suite. This is the bachelor, except, <laughs> except married. Big difference. That's a total joke. That they, that they think that, that women all want that. You all want one exclusive relationship. And then you turn on the bachelor like, this is so great. Which one's he going to choose? Can I just, like, shoot someone? Okay, so, like, like I don't really want to shoot someone, okay? That's not a political joke. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, the bride belongs to the bridegroom, okay? This is what this is saying. He's saying, you know what? After they get married, they go into the wedding chamber. And everyone's like, okay, all right, where's he going with this? The friend... Who attends to the bridegroom or the groom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. Here's, here's, here's the analogy. Here's what happened in these Jewish weddings. They were like seven days long. And what would happen is the bride would be waiting for the groom and then the groom would come with trumpets and friends and family and he would come to get the bride. And they would have the ceremony, and then they would go into the wedding chamber. And what would happen is the friend would stand outside the wedding chamber. Like while they're being married in there. This is the truth. And as soon as they were done with the act of marriage, this is a story, then someone would, like the, bro- the groom would actually come and reach out of the door and hand the friend some coins or like a, a, a cord that represented that now that like they've consummated the marriage. And then the friend would go to all the wedding party and go, they did it. <laughs> no, this is what would happen. And everyone would be like, yay, they did it. And everyone's excited because they're married and now like the marriage is complete. It's like, wow, this is love. And they would celebrate love. And then they would just spend the next several days celebrating the love of the bride and the groom. And what he is saying is he's saying, it is my job to get people to fall in love with God. And when you fall in love with God, Man, we celebrate that, and I just exist to just be the announcement of that love, that the groom loves the bride. You understand, in the New Testament, the bride is the church. It's every one of us. Jesus is the groom, and it's a love story that he would give his whole life for that bride. When Jesus first goes To a wedding in Cana, he turns water into wine as if to say, man, I'm going to give you the greatest life you could ever have. You could spend your whole life with water, but with me, it's wine. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's a celebration. John the Baptist in this moment goes, it's my job to lead you to understand how much God loves you. Our chase should lead to others chasing. Let me just give you a couple thoughts about how this plays out practically. 
It doesn't matter how many, but it can't be nobody. You see, once you start to follow Christ, you, you've been called. And you haven't been called to necessarily do what I do. You understand? Let me just say that again. Once you start to follow Christ, you've been called. Every person's been called. And some people go, I, I'm waiting for my calling. I don't know what my calling is. You know, there's one thing that's crystal clear in the scriptures. That every person that's a follower of Christ is called to lead other people to become a follower of Christ. And it doesn't mean that like, you have to have some like, Paul experience where he gets knocked off his horse and blinded and you don't have to hear a voice from the sky. All you gotta do is look at the life of Jesus and go, what did he say? At the end of his life, where, when he ascended into heaven, he said, go and make disciples. Go do it. Everyone. So you don't have to like start a church. You don't have to be a small group leader. You don't have to be really smart and know the Bible, all that stuff. You have to have a genuine relationship with God, and then whoever God has put in your world, and it might just be like a coworker. It might just be like a friend. It might be your spouse. Can I tell you right now? It might be your children. Do you know one of the greatest things you might ever do is not necessarily like do ministry, but lead a child to do ministry? And one of the greatest ministries you could ever have is maybe have a child that follows and loves Jesus because you led them down that road. One, it can't be none. If you're not leading people, if you're not a reflector, if you're not leading people towards the light, then you don't understand this gift. You don't understand this calling. There's gotta be at least one. For some people, it's hundreds. For some people, it's thousands. For some people, it's 10. For some people, it's 25. For some people, it's 500. It doesn't matter. We're all called. But it can't be no one. Here's another thought. It doesn't really matter what church they go to. You know, like what can happen is, is, and this is so, and I could go on about this and maybe do a whole series about this, but what happens is, is, is in church world, man, we fall in love with the mechanism. We fall in love with our church. We fall in love with the way our church does things, the way the church talks, the way the church feels, the way the mass is. We fall in love with the different pieces. Some people fall in love and think that 514 church is like the only way to do church. It's not. It is not. And if you fall in love with the way, the method of church, then you're going to miss leading people to Christ because your goal in that relationship needs to be to get them to grab on to a relationship with God. And you can test that. And let me just give you a little piece here. I'm not saying they can go to any church because there's a lot of churches that teach wrong things and lead people in the wrong direction. But the scriptures, actually John says this, not John the Baptist, but the writer of the book of John he says this, he says, this is how you test the spirits. If people believe in the name of Jesus Christ, then it's, it's safe. And here, let, me just, let me just clarify this for you. You want people to follow Jesus and teach people and believe that they are following God. If a church believes that Jesus and teaches that Jesus is God, not a God, not a prophet, God, then let them run down that road. If they're not going to a church that doesn't teach that Jesus is God, then I would just do the one thing as a friend and say, you gotta go somewhere where they believe that Jesus is God. See, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He said that if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, I am, which is the same thing that Moses heard God say on a mountain 
thousands of years before Jesus came, when God spoke, I am. Jesus is I am. So don't get caught up in, in, in where. Get them to follow Jesus. Here's another thought about leading other people to chase the light while you chase the light. It doesn't matter if you're the perfect chaser. You know, one of the greatest lies you could ever come into is like, I'm not good enough, and so I shouldn't be leading people towards Jesus. I gotta get all my life worked out. I gotta have everything squared away. I have to be the perfect person. I can't have any problems. I can't have any issues. I can't have anything wrong because, man, I am not gonna be able to, like, lead people to Christ until I just become perfect. Do you understand that if, if that was the prerequisite, no one would lead anyone to Jesus? And it gets scary when people actually think that they're perfect and then they lead. But it's also equally scary when you think like I'm not good enough and never will be and therefore I can't impact people's lives. You guys, I, I, I consider it like a grand privilege to be able to influence you. But like I get that in the spotlight and, and in the lights and at church and you, you get this idea of me. It is, it, I, I am in no way perfect and if you peel back pieces of my life, you might go, oh man, and scare you. Because I struggle through realities and, and problems just like every single one of you, every single one of you. But I take those to Jesus and he, he reminds me I'm forgiven and he helps me change and grow and get better. And in that process, I'm accepting the responsibility to lead other people to Christ. There's a great guy who goes to our church. His name is Josh Sneed. He's sitting back there. Josh, stand up real quick. He works in production. He's been here when our... When our, church, when our church started, uh, well, not when the church started, we did, we did these things and still do the tour. If you're new, you went on a tour maybe. You got a parking spot. Someone met you at the car and, and brought you in. The first tour that we ever did was Josh uh, and his wife. And I, I actually had the privilege to do the first tour that we ever did. And I walked them through the church and they got connected and in a small group. And since then, uh, Josh has gone through a, a very difficult challenge in his relationship and him and his wife have gotten divorced. And I asked him if I could share this because he's just heartbroken, he's just, he's just crushed. And, 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 and him and I had a brief conversation, one of the biggest challenges he faces is believing that his past, it, it erases his ability to have an impact on the future. Believing that, that like now I'm not perfect or my relationships aren't perfect and that just takes away all my merit and all my, my, like, my ability or, or I'm not good enough or God looks at me and says I'm not good enough and now I can't impact people and that's just one of the ba biggest lies. And we love you, Josh, and, and we, we, we're glad that you're here and Josh has been a part of this and he's been gone through this difficult time and we're still with him and he's still influencing, he still runs the camera, he's still here, he's still a part of it, he's still influencing people for Jesus. Because it doesn't matter it doesn't matter. He went through difficulty. He's still here, and today, actually, he's taking a long break. He's going on a, a long hike uh, through um, the Appalachian Trail. And dear Lord, that sounds awful to me. <laughs> I mean, it just sounds like the Revenant or something. Like, just, I just, the most brutal, awful experience of all time. Oh, I'm going to be alone forever. I can, can you imagine me alone? I mean, I would just start, I'd carve out a face on a tree and start talking to it. <laughs> Wilson! All right. Um, like, uh, here's one more thing. Here's one more thing. Um, don't target people. Don't target people. Chase after Jesus. You see, what can happen is, like, you can get in this mode where you find that, 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 that as a leader and you're supposed to lead people, that you feel like you've got to pick people and try to get them, make them, force them, drag them, push them. That is not how it works. 
I just, want you, I just want you to think about what John the Baptist did. Look, the Lamb of God. Look. Your job is to get people to look. And you know how people look? When you have a genuine relationship with Jesus. I mean, when your relationship with Jesus is so real that the love of God has been overly communicated to you in your sin and your brokenness, and you go to Jesus and he says, I love you, I forgive you, I care about you, and you feel that unconditional love from God, which if you haven't felt that yet, you just haven't got close enough to the gift of Jesus on the cross, because when you get there, you realize how broken you are and how much he loves you. You see, the reality of the cross is we are more sinful than we can fathom, but God loves us way more than we could imagine. Way more. And when that love starts to just ooze through our lives, then people see that, and we just start to love the people around us. And when people see that person is like a sponge, they accept all my difficulty, they accept all my change, all my pain, all of it. They just love me now. Now you have become an influencer The love of God is what changes people's lives. It's what's changed you. You need to pray for people. You need to look at people and pray for them. But really what should happen is your love and your relationship with Jesus should start to transform the way you interact with people and that should be so exciting for the people around you that they just can't help but chase the light. Guys, chasing the light. Chasing the light, what is it? We chase the light because the light chased us first. If you don't understand that that God came down and he chased you, you alone, that he desires you, he loves you, he's passionately pursuing you, you missed out on week one of chase the light. He loves you. And when you realize that he loves you, that's how you love him back. We love because we were first loved. We love God, we love others because we were first loved. Only good comes from God. You see, when it says that God is light, it means he is good. And in him, there is no darkness. And as you go through life, the pain and the problems often get thrown on God's shoulders. And they become his fault, but they're not his fault. He is only good. He is only good for every single one of us. He is the light. In him, there is no darkness. And when we move into a relationship with Jesus... What happens is is the light exposes our entire world. It exposes how much God loves us and we learn that more real in in a more real fashion than we ever have before. And also it exposes our, our darknesses, our sin, our brokenness. And as the light covers us, then we see good and bad more clearly and we do more right. So the closer you get to Jesus, the more decisions reflect that in your life. And then... Today, our chase should lead others to chasing. Everything that we do as we chase the light should be about helping people turn their lives to follow God the way that you have. Let me just stand up for you guys and just take, uh, go, you stand up. I'm already standing up. I'm, I'm, I can jump, but I'm not gonna stand up any higher. Uh, stand up and I wanna say a prayer for you guys. Um, let's just, just take a minute and, and close your eyes and let's pray. God, thank you so much for being the light. Thank you for being perfect Thank you for being holy and good. Help us to chase after you. Help us to understand that you love us and therefore we can love you back and love others. Help us to do more right as we get closer to you and help us to lead other people into a growing relationship with you. We are all called to that. We thank you so much for this beautiful day. Thank you so much for these students. Thank you so much for these families. God, help us to 
to not miss this moment. Help us to fall more in love with you. Help us to see the light and chase it harder than we ever have before. In Jesus' name, amen.